Hello and welcome back to another episode on the Six Yards podcast. What an incredible round of fixtures did we have in the game week two. 44 goals scored, which by the way is the highest number of goals scored in a single match week in a 20-club Premier League season. If this is an indication of things to come, I think we are up for one hell of a ride this season. So, um, a quick roundup on the last week fixtures. Arsenal snatched a late winner against West Ham. Spurs scored five against Saints. Uh, Liverpool beat a 10-man Chelsea side. Uh, City kick-started the campaign with a win against Wolves, while uh, Manchester United slumped to a defeat in their opening day fixture against a resurgent Palace side. Also, Everton cruised past West Brom to the top of the table, and uh, Brighton registered a fine victory against Newcastle. So, um, joining me in today's episodes are Supreet, Sushant, Shyan, Manan and Naveen. Oh, and by the way, we also have a new speaker joining us today, and I'd like to welcome Obro onto the Six Yards podcast. Obro is a passionate Liverpool supporter who I'm sure is loving life at this moment given how successful the club has been over the last two seasons. We're glad to have you on board, Obro. Welcome. Hey, hi. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot. It's great to be part of this. And yes, of course, after you know, a lot of waiting, the club has come to this uh, far. So yeah, there had to be someone representing Liverpool in this one. Great. All right. So let's get started. Um, first up, we have Sushant. Welcome back, mate. Uh, you know, Manchester United kick-started the campaign against Palace after, you know, an extended break due to their involvement in the European competition last season. Um, I think they looked off pace and it was clearly evident that, you know, they were lacking match fit- fitness. Uh, but despite this fact, you know, the central-back pairing of Lindelof and Maguire was a nightmare, very honestly. And... So, what are your thoughts on this? And what do you think the future beckons for United's defence? Hi, Karthik. Uh, first of all, I think I would like to correct you there. We, I do not think the team has yet kicked off. I think they forgot their shoes, their footballing brains. I don't know what at home, right? Um, <laughs> that performance was abysmal. Uh, yes, there are certain caveats to why... We, I, there are excuses you could make, right? Uh, but at the top level, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you have to perform. Uh, with regards to the centre-back partnership, uh, there are a few things on my mind here. So, uh, first of all, I'll just head back and I'll, and I'll lay out some quotes that uh, uh, were made pre-match, right? Uh, some of them were by Solskjaer. Uh, then there was one from the Sweden boss uh, during the international break. So the Sweden boss uh, during the international break pointed out saying, uh, while speaking on Lindelof, right, uh, he was tired. We talked beforehand about him only playing one game. After the game against France, he felt very worn down. So this was in relation to why Lindelof didn't start the second international uh, match for Sweden. Uh, Solskjaer, during his pre-match press conference, spoke on Bai, saying he's come back stronger and stronger. And towards the end of the previous season, he looked really strong. He's looked really good in training, strong in training as well this season. Uh, also, he spoke about Paul Pogba, where he said that Paul's had a couple of training sessions, so he's lost out on a few sessions because of the virus. Now we know uh, Paul Pogba dropped out of the France national team because of the uh, was of because he st- got struck with COVID, right? So mm-hmm. we had these players who the manager, uh, either it being Ole or um, the Sweden boss, had had pointed out that were they were either unfit uh, for the first match, directly or indirectly pointing towards that, right? Uh, 
I have no idea why Lindelof started that match. There was no reason uh, for uh, Ole to start Victor Lindelof in that match. Uh, one that being one, right? Uh, Victor Lindelof from the start, accord, according to me, along with another many other team players, looked off beat from the word go. Uh, Palace were much faster, and the style of football that uh, Ole likes to play, where he's playing with a high line and he likes his attackers to push up. Uh, leads to opportunities for a, uh, if the team isn't fit enough, uh, you can catch United out very easily, very very easily. And now coming to that specific partnership of Maguire and Lindelof, last season we saw that uh, these two together uh, are easily exposed with speed on the break. Right? Lindelof mm-hmm. has no physicality; he does not, he cannot engage in tackles. Uh, Maguire is slow off the bat. Right, he, he he takes. Um, I think a truck turns faster than uh, Harry Maguire can turn around uh, and uh, run back towards the goal. Right. So okay. so I have so again Eric Bailly should be starting. Uh, we saw yesterday in the game against uh, against Luton Town uh, how uh, there were times uh, when Eric Bailly was able to shut down attacks, counter attacks, you could call them, because of his speed, because of his recovery pace. Right. Uh, usually, what happens is on the right hand side we have uh, Van Bissaka, uh, which which he who has been able to at times mask that weakness which Lindelof has. But uh, it, the the game in the weekend we didn't have uh, Van Bissaka as well, which is okay because he was tired and he was not fit enough for the first game, right? So that makes sense, right? But again, why was the Derek by starting? He is he yeah. needs to be the first choice along with Maguire. You have to give him a chance. Because he's fit, right? If he wasn't fit, then you understand Victor Lindelof starting. But at this point, when the manager has come out and said that this player is fit and he's ready to go, and you have comments from another manager saying that Victor Lindelof is tired, why is Victor Lindelof starting? There is no reason, right? So there have been, uh, you know, obviously everyone has come down and said we need more signings, and this is all because of that. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, signings cannot be your plan B. Uh, so you can't have you can't go back and say we lost to Crystal Palace, who finished uh, I think fourteenth uh, uh, at the end of last season. We lost to Crystal Palace because we didn't have a Jadon Sancho. Jadon Sancho wouldn't have helped us uh, in the weekend. That defending would still have right. been invisible. Absolutely right. So where are the plans? Where are, where are the patterns of football that you see from other teams? You see Liverpool play. You, you you see City play. City uh, at the weekend had this, uh, on Monday night, had a really nice pullback goal, right? Which has now become a trademark under Pep Guardiola. You can almost visualize whenever there's a player on the wing, there will be someone waiting to accept a cutback. And that's how Foden scored. You know these patterns of play that uh, Liverpool have, that City have. You don't associate that with United at any step. There are moments when our attackers say, right, let's uh, they turn up and then, you know, they do their thing. But there are the patterns. That's what that's what overcomes you over uh, during the day, right? Again, Paul Pogba. Why was he starting? He was not fit. He had COVID. Uh, he looked tired from. Uh, I know his body language does. Uh, you would say his body language says that he's always tired, but uh, on the weekend he looked worse off. Van der Beek. Van der Beek was fit. He played the game against Aston Villa. Where was he? Why wasn't Lindelof starting? Uh, sorry. Why wasn't Lingard starting? He was fit. Uh, again, against Luton Town, he seemed far more fitter than uh, how how much uh, Rashford or Marshall or even uh, Daniel James uh, felt, right? Again, 
so there were some baffling decisions and it just didn't make sense uh, when that lineup came out mm-hmm. great um sorry for that absolutely <laughs> okay um sushant now let's talk about the handball incident shall we uh, yeah. you know for me i felt it was a bit harsh but uh, it is a clear pen as per the new rules yeah. right uh, you can't deny that however you know, what's interesting is you know uh, gabriel's handball you know it also looked like a clear pen but it was not given all right and uh, if you also look at doherty's incident against southampton yes. you know it was not a pen i mean uh, if you read if you read the rules any referee in the right frame of his mind even after reviewing should not give that a penalty okay uh, you know these inconsistencies in the decisions are becoming frustrating right um, so what are your thoughts on that in general sushant uh, so yeah so i think uh... a uh, lot of people have been you know quick to blame uh, var uh, for all these issues right uh, but i think as you pointed out yourself the primary issue here is the rule itself right uh, the current rule states that it is an offense handling the ball is an offense if a player touches the ball with their hand hand or arm when they have either made their body unnaturally bigger right or their hand or arm is above or beyond their shoulder level right Right, now right. the above offenses apply even if a ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from the head or body which includes your foot of another player who is close so as per the rules right uh, the doherty uh, incident was a foul mm-hmm. okay because uh, his hand was in a uh, slightly unnatural position and right. uh, it it hit it went off if i if i'm not wrong it went off wings foot right and then it hit right, doherty exactly. right mm-hmm. now that's fine and all right again as we're saying that's the law a referee can't do much than just simply apply the law right so again that's mm-hmm. not his fault and the var can't do much about that right mm-hmm. now my question is in and which you again pointed out is that it does not make sense uh there there is no sense uh where a doherty incident or a lindlof incident is a handball in the case of lindlof in fact if 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 someone who has played football right so you and me have played football in a, if you see that video in a normal uh, frame without slowing it down you would notice that his body is in a his hand is in a pretty natural position for a player who's running back right who's turning and running it's not like he's trying to forcefully stop the ball so then we go back to why all of this was introduced why is there this accidental handball becoming an issue and um, and akini would uh, love to know about this was that one of the one of the reasons why this came about was uh, when arsenal scored at i think if it was against burnley in 2016 where uh, koscielny's uh, injury time winner came about when he accidentally hit the ball with his hand when the ball hit the hand even though he knew nothing about it right he didn't know about it and it went in so this is where that right. comes from now it makes sense to uh, penalize accidental handball when it leads to a goal right that right. i'm still fine with that but why are you penalizing defenders for accidental handball right uh, the at the end of the day the rule needs to go back especially in a defensive point of view and it should simply state if there is a handball which is not accidental right so someone purposefully try to stop a goal you give that a penalty and you foul the player and you give a card whatever but accidental handballs need to be 
removed from the game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's my point of view. I do not think accidental handballs have, at least on a defensive point of view, have any um, any sense or or gay there, right? Now uh, another thing is that uh, again, this would uh, be something that you also remember last season. Um, I believe it was Harry Kane who had handballed in the build-up during a Spurs goal, and it was then called back because. Correct. Right? Yeah. Now yeah. the new rule says so again to uh, mitigate these circumstances, right? So it says even though uh, so I have tried to clarify by saying immediately, right? So if a deliberate handball immediately leads to a goal, but again, mm-hmm. what does I IFAB mean when they say immediately? Does it mean? Like what does it mean? Like does the goal that hurricane uh, that that a hurricane handball was was that uh, immediate or uh, was that not immediate? As is there a time frame or is it a number of passes? Where does that ruling stand? So there are right. so many uh, gray spots in terms of the rules, right? That I actually feel sorry for the referees because yeah, absolutely, yeah. actually because uh, you can clearly see right even after going back and referring, uh, I mean reviewing it. They're not able to take the right calls. Yeah. Uh, so I think the gray area is definitely there, and something needs to be done. But I, see, I think these guys are experienced refs who are doing a top job in a top league. So I, I think uh, you know we cannot afford to have inconsistencies in the decisions at such a high standard, especially when we have the you know uh, video referee as an assistant. So. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a big call that you made in terms of going back on the uh, on the rules, uh, yeah. which I am I'm not too sure how feasible it, it, it is going yeah. to be. But I think at least all we can you know hope is that referees are more uh, vigilant in terms of reviewing the penalties, especially the handball incidents. Yeah. And you know there's a consistency in what we see. But I think you will see a lot of uh, attackers now trying to target a player's hand when inside the box. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think that would be yeah. an interesting point to see. Correct. And it will give us more topics to debate. So, yes, of course. Always. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, Sushant, moving on. Uh, another point which uh, probably I want to get your opinion on is, you know, the balance in the midfield uh, against the game, uh, against the Palace side, you know, it, it really looked off as, you know, Pogba and McTominay, they sat really too deep. Okay. And they were not able to link up with uh, Bruno uh, to sort of influence the game. So, what were your thoughts on this? And how do you think, you know, United should line up in that midfield now that uh, Van der Beek has been signed? Right. So, about that, I think uh, while I do like uh, Scott McTominay as a player, uh, I do feel that uh, uh, Nemanja Matic is a much more uh, solid option at the back uh, in the midfield, right? Uh, along with Pogba. Uh, right. While I wouldn't uh, like to, you know, uh, as as per, as you said, right, they were too, sitting too deep. I wouldn't really like to uh, ponder over that first game a lot in terms of how we will be setting up because I think more than the uh, more than the where they were stationed, it was more about um, uh, just not being effective enough in terms of uh, fitness and uh, tactically, right? Uh, I think as we move ahead, uh, we will see them. You will see that midfield uh, move move ahead a bit, like right, like we saw post the restart where uh, Pogba and uh, Pogba was uh, uh, reaching was up linking up with uh, Bruno seamlessly near the edge of the box, right? So I think we'll see right, more right. of that, uh, but that would require Matic and a few of our fullbacks to also uh, 
push up further right uh, there was a lot of um, conservatism i might add uh, in terms of our full backs pushing up further because when they do that they open up the pitch as well right uh, and uh, you can see then your midfielders as well uh, moving moving up so i think uh, overall i am not uh, as worried about the balance in midfield i think van de beek adds another dimension uh, especially off the bench mm-hmm. uh he will also help us in uh, rotation uh, last season i think uh, bruno uh we we literally ran him out of gas uh, by the end of the season so i yeah. think uh, that will help us in terms of rotation he does add yeah. something different i think he's much more direct inside the box uh while yeah. uh, bruno likes to take shots from outside the box and you know uh, look to create chances and put in crosses i think uh, van de beek uh, as as much as we have seen so far he likes to have that are uh, uh, one w- not more than two touches on the ball and then just get inside the box as much as possible and i think that's right. how he got his goal as well right he was he was there right there at the right place right, right place at the right time correct so yeah so i think he does add a new dimension uh, in terms of balance uh, i still think mctomney has a lot to learn and uh, i think once matic is back and he's fit and he's starting along with pogba i think we'll be fine there absolutely at least in yeah. the short run right absolutely i think yeah i mean uh, we've got to look at uh, you know the connect between pogba and bruno i think what what has been magical last season i think in order to get united on track that uh, seamless transition is required and let let's let's see uh, let's hope that you know pogba tries to start playing a little forward and yeah. you know gives that extra edge to the united side um thanks sushant thanks for your inputs uh, it was lovely thank you thank you uh, hopefully next weekend i have a better top better feeling to discuss better <laughs> <laughs> hope so okay or not <laughs> anyway uh moving on uh, i think we next have uh, manan and, and obro joining us to discuss the chelsea and liverpool game welcome lads uh you know manan has sort of been ranting on his twitter account about a certain individual ever since chelsea lost to liverpool which was actually fun you know uh but my, my first question is an obvious one and it it is to you manan um another error leading to a goal uh you know they, uh are his days in london numbered and what 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 are chelsea going to do with kepper uh thanks for that kv i know i've been ranting a lot i'll be i'll try to be as uh, you know humane and calm as possible uh so to Kepa, right? I mean, it's it's a it's an intriguing mystery with him. He, it's been a bizarre fall from grace for him, to be very honest. Uh, as far as I remember, he was he was very solid in his first season at Chelsea. He made some very crucial saves. Uh, the one that comes to mind is the penalty shootout against Eintracht Frankfurt uh, in the Europa League semis, right? Uh, he was brilliant. I mean, he, he pulled off saves and. He, it looked like he'll justify that price tag you know it it it's probably be, i mean the change in regime hasn't really helped his confidence uh, the coaching is also a bit of uh, an issue you know henrique hilario is not exactly been a stellar player in his career and is not even a first choice goalkeeper most of his career so he is not best placed to coach a uh, the world's costliest keeper right so and 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 to be honest uh, even frank lampard wanted to bring in shay given as a as a coach but uh, to answer your question whether his days in um, london are numbered i i really don't think so i i mean i don't see kepa being in chelsea goal anytime soon especially now that we've signed uh, edward mendy it's it's confirmed so i don't see him starting anytime soon however it will be you know it will be incredibly difficult for chelsea to offload him considering you know we have offered him a seven year contract 
uh, and uh, even more difficult to get Riku even is fifty uh, percent of his transfer fee, right? So nobody's going to right. pay that in this market. So I wouldn't be surprised if you know Frank keeps him around, uh, maybe for cup games, maybe you know as just as a backup. But yeah, I I, I certainly don't see his uh, him starting for the club anytime soon. Right, right. Uh, but don't you think a loan move would be wise for him at this stage and Chelsea for that matter? It, it would. It certainly would. But but at the end of the day, you know, it, it all depends on you know because it's it's going to be a very congested uh, season, right? So maybe Lampard has him to you know just compete for that number one spot because I do believe that there's a good goalkeeper in there somewhere. You know, he he may have his share of uh, critics and banter all across social media. That's that's usual. That no, that's normal. But I do believe that he does have a, you know, there's there's a good goalkeeper in there somewhere. So maybe Lampard sees that in him. Maybe he wants to, you know, compete with Mendy for that number one spot. But uh, I mean, at this, at the end of the day, you know, I do believe that a loan move would suffice, and you know, it would be good for him to get that kind of uh, an experience to get his confidence back. Maybe in Spain, which would not, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, be bad at all. Right. Right. Okay. Um, wait. So, Abro, uh, a fine win against a ten-man Chelsea, and I, I thought you know Sadio Mane looked lively, and you know it's you know, seemed to have finally got into his rhythm. Obviously, you know he was a standout performer last year as well. You know, with Messi even stating that uh, he is his pick for Ballon d'Or. Is this finally the season for him to be the best in the Premier League? Right. Yeah, so you know, Sadio has always been brilliant, right? So you know, he's that uh, he's that hardworking fellow who you know runs around all the time and you know always tries to you know find that uh, you know, find that extra bit, go that extra bit always. Uh, he is obviously in the top bracket in the PL and definitely also in the world amongst the world players. Right? He, he has been duly recognized by Fabregas also recently, calling him the best player in the Premier League. Right, right, and yeah. And so, you know, it's just not the goals or the assists ratio Sadio, right? So, where maybe, you know, it Mosala takes like more credit there, right? So, uh, it's many contributions like, you know, the closing downs he did, like, which resulted in the goal uh, uh, in this week, the right, second goal. Right. And right. also the tracking back that it does to cover for Robertson, right? So, that robots right. and so that is also very important, right? So, he's always running around. So, that is also very important and, and a feature that it brings in in the game. And uh, as you pointed out rightly, last season, like some of those very crucial points against Norwich, that last goal against uh, Aston Villa, right, in the 93rd or 94th minute, which right. resulted in the win, which is very important, right? And uh, so, you know, whether he'll be, you know, the able to win the player of the season or the PL player of the season, or that's a very different question, right? And, you know, there's a still a long way to go, but I'm sure he'll be up there. Uh, in contention, you know, with the with the select few of Kevin De Bruyne, Mosana, I'm sure uh, they'll also be up there, uh, along with a few others. But yeah, I'm sure he'll be in contention. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think one of the uh, core reasons why Mane is loved by you know players and fans alike, I think, as you mentioned, right, it's the work he does off the ball. I think that is unmatched. Uh, so at times people tend to you know focus on maintaining the stats or uh, things like that, but I think uh, he does a fab job for the team and uh, yeah, that is a very very you know important factor in terms of getting recognition from players and fans alike. Yeah, absolutely, and that uh, rivalry, a little bit of rivalry that he, ha- he has with Salah, I think that is also good for the team. It keeps Correct. both of them going. It's a it's a healthy relationship. I mean, that, that that's one way to term it, right? 
yeah absolutely yeah yeah all right um so sticking on the subject you know you know actually you know when i uh, saw the lineup um i was you know honestly thought that liverpool finally have a weak link that chelsea can capitalize on but you know Fab- fabinho has slotted into that defense like he's been playing there for years you know uh now that there are options in midfield right uh, mm-hmm. can he offer the versatility in the defense and sort of you know start pushing for that uh, i know this is a little off the topic but i i think can he challenge and become a regular defender do you think you see that happening uh so the question is whether he wants <laughs> to be one or not is also another question right, right. yeah so uh, but yeah so you know when there are two parts to it so one even yeah even when i saw the lineup i was searching for either gomez or matip where are they what happened matip obviously was injured i knew that but right. then i was looking for gomez but then given how injury prone both of them are matip and uh, gomez i think that is one of the reasons uh, that klopp is probably not uh, you know that much uh, inclined to buy another center back you know getting a cover because the fabinho can do that job he has done it previously yeah. and whether uh, klopp decides to pull a you know mascherano in barca where they converted him from a, again from a central uh, midfield uh, to a defender whether he is going to do that or not is another question but uh, obviously he can do the job and uh, you know what he definitely has which helps is a good defensive mind right because he plays in that blocker position where you know breaks up attacks and liverpool playing such a high line that also yeah. he is almost playing in a natural position right because <laughs> correct, most correct. most of the time with the wing backs going up it is yeah. you know he comes back covering the defense right most of the times right, with right. Uh, with matip uh, you know van dijk and matip going to going to the sides he comes back in the in the you know slots back into the midfield uh, defensive three kind of a position right so he he definitely is an option and mm-hmm. especially with now thiago coming in there's a lot of options that klopp can play around in the midfield but uh, you know if he goes back there what we will miss is the goals like the ones he scored against man city you know those bullet shots is something we're right. going to definitely miss right, from the right. middle but i'm sure thiago can cover up for that right right cool Okay. Um Manan uh, bringing you back into the conversation. Okay, let's let's do the ifs, you know, what if. So had Jorginho converted from the spot and had Werner uh, did I mean, uh, let, let's assume that he took his chances better. Could he have had a different result? You know, because honestly, I feel that Liverpool let you off the hook, you know, a, a, a little too easy. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, like you said, you know, Karthik, it's a game of ifs and buts, uh, isn't it? I mean, in my view, uh, even if Jorginho had converted from the spot, I don't think the result would have been anything other than a Chelsea defeat. Uh, simply because, uh, you know, Liverpool are just too good. You know, they would have come on that much stronger. You know, they would have been, you know, maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson would have, you know, bombarded forward crosses, you know, is left, right and centre. So, I think uh, the, the result... as much wouldn't have been much different uh, to be very honest i'm not even that mad about georgino missing that penalty or uh, kepa you know just being doing kepa things so uh, or, or even you know for the matter werner being a little rusty in front of the goal my right. frustration is purely focused on andreas christensen Uh, you know <laughs> the the point is even though chelsea didn't create anything of note in that first half I felt that they controlled the game well. Uh, I mean, you obviously have to keep in mind that they were playing last season's runaway champions, right? And and they kept uh, Liverpool at an arm's length. Even even you know even if Chelsea didn't create much, neither did Liverpool. 
but unfortunately right. one simple ball over the top and and you we all know how mane uses his body and he's very clever in going down in situations like this and christensen completely had a moment of madness and and it it sort of ruined what looked like a very promising second half very intriguing right. second half and and not just that he also ruined uh, on a very uh, different note he also ruined havertz's home debut obviously he had to be sacrificed yeah. once you both uh, man down because mount offers something else entirely and because of his red obviously you know lampard would have learned nothing from this game from a tactical point of view so so it's like you said it's a game of fifths and butts uh, even if you know let's say some that georgino penalty had gone i i don't really think the result would have been anything other than that what uh, it turned out to be mm-hmm. okay interesting interesting um since you anyway touched upon christensen and coming uh, coming to the defense uh, you know there are rumors that zuma might be on his way out right mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that you know thiago silva may not be able to start as many games as the fans would want him to how do you think uh, you know lampard is going to manage his center back pairing uh so first of all i i really don't see zuma leaving not now at the, uh, of all moments uh, especially after you know christensen had this moment of madness and right. rudiger is someone you just cannot rely on so i i don't personally see zuma leaving he's been one of the more consistent center backs that chelsea have had under ever since lampard took over in fact and and i do believe that he'll mm-hmm. most likely be uh, the you know uh, an established partner to thiago silva at the back uh, the one point of complaint that i personally had and i'm sure uh, lampard would also have you know preferred not to do is that he's had to chop and change his defense all too frequently last season so mm-hmm. uh, one thing he would appreciate and he would welcome is uh, a settled center back pairing which i think you know for me it is thiago silva and zuma and one of the more encouraging signs from that liverpool game one of the very few in fact was that fikayo tomori did very well when he came on uh, in the second half he, he dealt with situations and you know he dealt with uh, the liverpool's front three very well so i think uh, defense wise and also you have got to keep in mind that one of the things that um, chelsea fans are most optimistic about is the fact that they we have finally recruited a you know defense coach uh, highly rated anthony barry who joined from within athletic so so i think there has been optimism around that defense part but at the end of the day you know if you chop and change too much it's a, it's a very tricky position because if you chop and change too much you know there's no settled backline and you're always prone to conceding goals so exactly. it's going to be an uh, interesting proposition but if you say zuma is on his way out and thiago silva may not be able to start as many games i think that's a cause of concern for all chelsea fans uh, across the world mm-hmm. right uh, and and quickly while we are on the subject do you see another center back coming in just in case to provide cover uh i i really don't think so not in this window not with the amount of money that we spent i know that uh, frank wants to bring in declan rice as a center back predominantly but i i simply don't feel that west ham will sell for anything below 80 million you know it's the typical english market that we have so yeah. i i really don't think so i i and there's no point in going for a stopgap solution the best thing maybe we can do is you know give malansar a shot you know but i don't see that happening either so uh, all said and done I, i i really don't think there's going to be another signing after this after mendy that is yeah yeah makes sense right yeah okay all right um so abro uh, bring me back into the discussion you know finally after months of uh, protract protraction you know thiago is finally done uh, he even managed to play 45 minutes uh, although it was a shame that he conceded the penalty but you know 
what were your thoughts on his performance and more importantly how exactly do you think he will improve uh, a squad that has already been so good yeah so you know obviously he was excellent right and and at liverpool we are not used to such established stars coming through our doors so it's mostly you know even from the times of zabi alonso to fernando torres they came to liverpool and became uh, the stars they, that they were right so even to to the days of uh, sadio mane and mosala so thiago coming in obviously he is uh, probably one of the few players who could go on and improve this squad right, uh, right? so and you know he brings that stability in the midfield uh, can become the creative force which we probably hope nabikita would become but uh, you know given his injuries and his inconsistencies he still not lived up to that potential so uh, you know and what more importantly what it can give us is another uh, you know mode of attack right so after maybe after putting your lap so there was no uh, creative midfielder in there right so right. and our uh, the attacking uh, responsibility primarily fell or fell on the on trent and on robo on the both sides Correct. and then uh, with teams who were sitting back and sitting deep so sometimes it was very difficult to break them down Right, mm-hmm. so with Thiago coming in, it and uh, with the speedy forwards that we have, it does give a lot of options to Klopp to chop and change his systems. So you know, that is on the playing side, and also uh, one more thing that I'm sure Thiago is going to bring in is that winning mentality. Right, he has won a host yeah. of trophies uh, in his Barca and in his Bayern days. He's been a serial winner. And right. for this Liverpool team, right, uh, you know, young team starting to win some silverware. after a very long time the weight of their shoulders have gone you know that you know that monkey of the back of winning the premier league is gone finally Correct. but to win a trophy once is you know obviously is good but you know keep winning it over and over again it requires a different mentality i'm sure you know thiago is going to help on that with his continuous winnings that he you know experience that he has it with bayern i think that that is a very different uh, and an important aspect that thiago is going to uh, bring into this team Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can argue that you know uh, the title-winning Liverpool team. You know, what was the one thing that you could improve? It was that midfield. I think uh, as scary as they already are, I, I, I just, I'm just you know terrified of what we're going to see in terms of that midfield. And yeah, I, I think this team has the potential to you know go on to be on the record books. Let's hope it doesn't. But yeah, that, that, that's what it looks like. Yeah. 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 Hopefully, let's it fingers crossed. Right now, uh, Abro, uh, moving on from one signing to another, uh, Diego Jota. Wow, I mean, that was so quick, and it was so completely under the radar. I was like, I was a bit surprised. Uh, I still am. I'm still a bit, uh, a bit surprised with the signing because he's just 23. Uh, he was excellent last season for Wolves. Um, but do you think uh, he'll push for a spot in the starting eleven, or will he? Well, or his appearances be limited to the bench? Right, so you know, yeah, it was completely under the bench, right? The Diego Jota signing. Even I mean, I think something similar happened with the Fabinho signing as well, right? Right after that loss to Real Madrid, I think after just a couple of days, he was announced out of out of nowhere. Right. So Jota, you know, he is a typical FSG signing, right? You buy them young, uh, help them grow, help them develop, right? So something similar happened when Mane came in, right? I think he was of the similar uh, age when he came in. he was a brilliant player he was a good player at southampton but he was inconsistent right so and then uh, klopp uh, helped uh, him reach uh, the player that you know become the player that he is today 
I think Jota is in a similar, uh, uh, you know, mindset or a similar place where he comes comes from. I uh, it will be a little difficult for him to break into the lineup right now, but he'll be the first backup, of course, and I'm sure he'll be a huge, huge uplift on Origi, right? Who, right. <laughs> though being the cult hero, is not that consistent and you know, uh, you know, not a not that great a backup, right? In terms of a goal threat. Uh, or the or the effort that he puts in, but I'm sure uh, he will be given the time to bed in, Jota, like most of the other players are, right? So right, he will right. he will definitely play the cup games and all. And also another interesting fact that you know uh, these players, Mane, Mosala, if you see, I mean they are almost completing four years now in Liverpool, right? So right, right. Uh, I'm sure they'll. Uh, it, it's very rare these days to have players like uh, you know Gerard and. Uh, Scholes and Lampard who will spend their lives in one club. Right. Right? So I'm sure they'll uh, like to move on to some new pastures. And that is where getting these uh, younger players, uh, you know, helping them uh, be a part of the team, understand the ethos of the team, uh, you know, help them bed in. I think that is going to definitely play a part. Uh, maybe, you know, if not next year, the year after that, if some, one of these guys leave, then he can definitely take that place. Uh, I think that is... Uh, that is going to be a very important aspect. And uh, as you mentioned, Jordan, along with Jordan, uh, one more player that I would uh, really want to see get opportunities is Minamino. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he, we really loved uh, him playing against us. Uh, so I, I would really love to see him get more opportunities. He has, uh, he, you know, he has got that period of development of six, seven months. He, re- he looked really, really promising in the pre-seasons. So I think uh, you know between Jota and Minamino they should get opportunities and hopefully they should be making most of the opportunities that they get. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, see, I think with the signings of Minamino and Jota, it, it's more of a future planning. So uh, yeah, I, I think F, FSG are very smart in that sense. I mean, uh, you, you you saw what what can absolutely horribly go wrong if you don't refresh the squad with Spurs, right? So uh, I think I think they probably already are planning. A year or two down the line, but yeah, let, let, let's not let's not be quick to judge these guys on a year or two. But I think a lot is going to depend on how they are integrated into the team. So yeah, but exciting prospects. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Um, Manan, so obviously a lot of debate is going on as to what is uh, you know Kai Havertz's best position, <laughs> with a few already getting frustrated, which is very very surprising. Uh, but again. Um, should Lampard change his current formation to get the better out him, out of him once he is completely integrated into the first team? Uh, social media fans can be fickle, can't they? <laughs> so the best quality about uh, Havertz is his versatility. You know, his nickname in back in Germany is Alice Kona, which literally means an all-rounder. So, so you know, that being said. The limited amount of games that I have actually had the pleasure of watching Leverkusen over the past season and and the one before that. I have this feeling that you know he, his best position is centrally uh, as an as an eight or a or a ten, you know. Uh, in that regard, as an eight, he'll be learning from the best of the best in the business who's been there and done that in terms of you know making those late darting runs into the box and scoring those goals from midfield, right? So there's no better to right. learn from than than Frank Lampard. Uh, so uh, about Lampard changing his formation to accommodate Havertz, I think that will that will eventually happen anywhere. When you consider you know the likes of uh, Ziyech and Pulisic that uh, you know will come back from the injury and back into the squad, back into the starting eleven. Uh, 
I think they are more natural wingers who provide the width. So Havertz doesn't at this point in time, you know, I think Lampard doesn't trust Callum Hudson Odoi enough to play him in that position. That's why you know you see you're seeing the likes of Havertz and Mount flanking Timo Werner. So once right. Ziyech and Pulisic are fit and back into the team, I think we'll see a more natural four-three-three with two number eights. Uh, something that you know, uh, bear in mind, uh, something that Lampard already experimented post lockdown last season, and it worked yeah, yeah. to a tidy effect. Only that now we'll have a potentially world-class uh, player to execute it. So that's where uh, you know the whole systems and tactic dynamic comes into play when we're talking about uh, Kai Havertz. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, I think he's one to watch out for. Uh, he has the potential to carry this Chelsea team. Um, to the next level, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it it really you know bothers me when people start spewing absolute random stuff on social media after watching two games, and it just goes out to all the teams, not just uh, Chelsea. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks, Manan. Thanks, Abro, for your insights. Uh, so now I think it, we're coming to the best part of the podcast, and for obvious reasons, um, uh, we have Shine joining us to discuss the crazy week at Tottenham. Welcome, Shine. Um, you know, two bumper signings and all was forgotten. Uh, but it really looked like that, you know, we were going to struggle until Son and Kane started to combine on more than one occasion to give the Spurs victory. Uh, what were your thoughts on the performance, Shine? And in particular on, you know, Harry Kane's passing. Is he more than just a striker? Hey, Ma. Hi, Kevin. Uh, what a lovely game of football, right? I mean, seven goals. Uh, we we all love those high-scoring matches, right? From time to time, this was particularly one. Uh, the prime contributor to the 44 uh, goals over game week two, as you mentioned in the early part of the podcast. So, yeah, I mean, brilliant! It was brilliant to see the attacking combination between Kane and uh, and Min Song. Uh, mm-hmm. Love, just lovely, lovely to see. And uh, I just mind mind you, I mean, this was uh, no small feat. Uh, KV. I mean, the last. I mean, forget about those four. That's that's at a different yeah. level. But uh, I think the last time a player uh, assisted another one uh, for an entire hat trick, I think was Thierry Henry for uh, Freddie Jungberg uh, for Arsenal yeah, yeah. Uh, way back in May 2003 uh, against uh, Sunderland. So you know, just just uh, tells you how difficult the, this kind of performances are, and right. what a brilliant uh, performance. Uh, it was from the two uh, forwards of uh, Spurs. Um, so Harry Kane, right, KV? I mean, there, there's much more than meets the eye. Uh, there are there are pundits uh, in the game who just look at the stats and pass uh, those judgments, right? And if you look at those stats for Harry Kane in terms of the assists, then they don't they don't show a good picture. Uh, right. Very honestly, if you just look at the last uh, three seasons in the Premier League, there's just uh, two. Four and two in the last uh, three, but uh, Harry Kane, as you said, right, is, is much more than a prolific striker. We all know he's a brilliant striker, but mm-hmm. uh, the role of a striker is just not limited to him scoring uh, goals, right? He and what uh, Harry Kane does is uh, being the menace that he is for the opponent uh, defenders. He he uh, poses that big threat to uh, the defense. And what that does is, you know, let's let's say we have all played the game, right? So when two or three defenders are primarily marking you as because you know you are the prime center forward, that leaves those small gaps uh, for the remaining two uh, or the you know number ten to utilize those gaps, and then they are free to take a shot 
or make those runs. And yeah. Hurricane Bing, as I said, he utilizes that. And uh, Son Hyun Ming and uh, Mora and Lamela all thrive on that on that little piece of uh, footballing uh, strategy that uh, a lot of good center forwards uh, use. Uh, the other the other bit I think which uh, might have gone under the radar for everyone is the uh, brilliant uh, link up play between uh, Son Heung Min and Harry Kane. Uh, it's, it's it's just uh, it was lovely to see. I, I watched the game uh, afterwards and it was just lovely to see two forwards uh, linking up uh, so uh, brilliantly. And in my mind, it was sort of a love affair between two uh, brilliant brilliant players. Uh, you know, you know, there are there are times in a football match uh, when uh, I think we have all seen some great uh, forwards over the uh, over the timeline that we have uh, witnessed football, and and there are times when two uh, you know attacking players they sort of have this uh, chemistry between them where you do not uh, have to look up for that pass or you do not have to wait for the other player to make those runs. It's it's sort of an inherent quality that both of them have because maybe they're buddies of the field or they practice a lot or whatever may be the reason. But, you know, those those uh, those split-second differences can cause a great bit of trouble for opponent defenders in a, in a top professional game. And I think uh, the the combination between Son and Ming and Harry Kane just absolutely thrives on, on that. Uh, they, they, I mean, interesting, uh, I was looking at some, you know, records and these two, right, the Harry Kane and Son Heung Ming, uh, the the pair has contributed 24 goals in the Premier League since uh, I think 2015 when uh, Son Heung Ming joined uh, Spurs, and that yeah. that's a heck, hell of a, I mean, hell of a number of goals, and yeah, uh, it, it's it's uh, four more than uh, guess who, Sergio Aguero and Kevin De Bruyne, and that speaks uh, volumes of uh, you know the link up play and the combination that. Uh, these guys have so it, it's it's uh, pretty amazing to see uh, both these guys in action I've, I've always had very high regards for uh, Son Henry I think he's a top player uh, by the way he conducts himself by the way he plays the game uh, so yeah lovely character and it was pretty evident uh, that day uh, scoring all those uh, goals in the game against us Right, right. Interesting. I mean, Manan would definitely disagree with you on, uh, you know, the thoughts you have on Sonny. But, uh, you know, another interesting fact, Shine, is that you were talking about the link-up partnerships. If you look at the top six, right, uh, Harry Kane would feature thrice in that. You know, he along with Delhi Ali, he along with Tristan Eriksson, you know, he, he has consistently found those partners. I think that is one of the reasons why Spurs were, you know, uh, playing free-scoring football under Mauricio Pochettino. And yeah, I think that that attribute that stat is a great attribute to uh, you know his efforts. Um, that speaks uh, volumes about the player uh, Harry Kane is. I mean, if if you in in a lifespan of ten to twelve years in a professional game, if you remain the top-notch centre forward that you are, who scores thirty odd goals in a season, and plus he he you you contribute maybe not in terms of the uh, column of assists, but uh, at the at the back end, you do all those nuances of football that we know. Uh, then I think it's it's a very brilliant uh, thing for Harry Kane as a centre forward. Right, right, absolutely. Um, now coming to the centre back pairing. Okay, I I uh, I think there was a change. I think Mourinho 
as we all know, never sticks with one set of centre-backs. He, he has this tendency to change because of the options that he has at Spurs. Uh, you know, Sanchez replaced Alderweireld, but uh, they still looked weak. Uh, they still looked error-prone. I mean, up to the minute 60, uh, I didn't have any strong feeling that Spurs are going to win it. And uh, what, did you, what did you make of that? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? They, they did look bad, didn't they? I mean, the first half, uh, especially uh, KV, I, I thought uh, Danny Ings was uh, going to score at least a couple in the first half only. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the first goal that he scored, it was completely a massacre at the back. I mean, I just saw the uh, you know ball loop over uh, Eric Dyer. There was no anticipation. I mean, as a centre-back, as a prime centre-back, you're supposed to anticipate all those balls, but he, he, he was nowhere. And by the time I think it reached uh, Dan Ings' uh, right foot, uh, Davinson Sanchez was nowhere and it was a simple, brilliant goal. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I really think, very honestly, KV, that's uh, uh, the back uh, centre-back position is uh, something which is very vulnerable. I, right. I and I hope that it doesn't come back to bite Spurs in the course of the season because right. uh, against the Southampton side, uh, well, uh, five goals, uh, you know, or two goals against, it might not look that bad. But as you progress in the uh, latter stages of the Europa and you'll face some tough teams, you come across teams like uh, Liverpool, uh, City, Chelsea with have uh, you know Havertz and. Uh, uh, Werner with that kind of speed, uh, right. I really feel this that's going to cause uh, problems. And uh, right. I, uh, you, know, you know, what I I have never I have never liked. Uh, pers- this is this is my personal uh, opinion. Uh, I've never liked Eric Dyer as a centre back. I I fell in love with him uh, when he was playing as a centre mid for for the England national team. I, I thought he was brilliant. But once he, you know, England has also tried him at the centre back position. He, he's mm-hmm. not fared very well. I didn't like him, as I said, the couple of anticipations that he did uh, mm-hmm. for the for the Southampton game. I didn't like him. Right. And you, you combine that with Davinson Sanchez, and I, and uh, you know you know why he was brought in because Alderweireld in the one nil loss against Everton wasn't that great either. Then I think Mourinho. Right. That's why uh, brought in uh, against even Lokomotiv. Uh, I think in the Europa he brought in Sanchez and then he continued uh, with him. But Damison Sanchez also wasn't that great with him. So I, I thought a couple of, I think on the right hand side there were a couple of passes and on the wing and he, he looked very uh, vulnerable. Right. Uh, right so right. I, I think that I think that's a pretty uh, interesting uh, thing for Mourinho to take care of because uh, if if I look at the squad right and the centre backs, if I primarily focus on them, Spurs doesn't. I mean they do not have much uh, quality. There's this, uh, I think, Juan Foyth, the Argentinian, and uh, Jafet Tanganka, the 21-year-old Englishman. Uh, You know, both these guys, as you say, you know, we all say those are promising youngsters coming up the ranks and Mourinho might use them in the Carabao Cup, their pickup. But, you know, going by what Mourinho has been and how his, uh, you know, cornerstone of his strategy has been a Zanetti or a Terry uh, over the years, he, he would love to have, I think, a strong centre-back uh, position in in uh, Spurs. So, that's why, you know, yeah. you can understand the past, you know, 24-odd hours, there has been some yeah. strong rumours about uh, Ruben Dias from Benfica, then yeah. Uh, yeah. Milan Strenier from Inter. And yeah. it, it absolutely makes sense, I guess. I guess uh, Mourinho 
deep down he knows that if Spurs has to uh, go the full length or win a trophy, then maybe you need someone very strong at the back to handle uh, all those, uh, you know, uh, vulnerabilities that has. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think that that is a very crucial point that you highlighted, you know, in terms of the speed that uh, you know the center backs have at Tottenham, it's it's not too great. I think it's 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 very apparent, you know. And teams can take a big advantage. And no matter uh, how good your forwards are, if you if you have a vulnerability over there, I think uh, you know things can go wrong. I, I think uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Kevin. I mean another. I think uh, a part which uh, might be causing a bit of trouble is the uh, addition of Doherty at the right uh, right back. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, if you analyze the game, right, on, even like in the first one against Everton, now Doherty, uh, we all know against Wolves, he was such a brilliant player. But then Doherty is someone who likes to, you know, just go boom boom on the right hand side or the left hand side, primarily on the right hand side. He just go up the pitch, he'll make those contributions uh, with those assists. I remember mm-hmm. in the I think Everton game, he was almost inside the penalty box where there was a lovely chip from right. uh, Harry Kane and it was very, I think it was uh, unlucky for Spurs that he couldn't uh, make it the goal. Pickford was, I think, with his left foot stuck out. So, Doherty is someone who did this for uh, Wolves day in, day out. Now, right. you can't do that uh, for, for, some, for someone like a Mourinho. Mourinho doesn't uh, prefer that. Mourinho rather wants someone to be a little bit conservative. You might have to have that balance uh, within yourself as, as a right back. Now, when Doherty does that, right, it creates that space at the back and leaves your two centre backs vulnerable. Now, right. to add to that, if Regeon comes and most probably he will take in uh, Ben Davis's place on the left flank. Now, yeah. both these two, if they just go, you know, uh, just bombard down the uh, two flanks, uh, either your uh, central midfield guy has to come back. But then all your three or at least two at the back have to be very agile and very strong. I, I find that really difficult with yeah. Spurs at the moment. So those those gaps uh, which the you know the two right wing back and the left wing back that they are yeah. going to uh, go ahead with and do that positioning, that is going to create problems for Spurs uh, against against big teams. They are definitely going to need to have those uh, spaces. Right. I, I mean, I, you brought up a very valid point because my next question to you was on that, you know. Uh, given that Reguion and Bale have been signed, you know, considering Bale is uh, not not the same guy who used to keep running down, down up and down the flank, uh, and the fact that Doherty and uh, Reguion like to push forward, you know. Uh, so, do you do you uh, see any change in the system that uh, the Mourinho's team would play? Because traditionally, he he was very, you know. Uh, you know, is very strict in terms of how his players should be in terms of position. So he has this very rigid uh, stake. So, do you see uh, this particular um, team playing in a different style so as to get the better out of all the players that they've signed? Well, not not really, uh, KV. I don't think it will uh, require a change in formation. Uh, Mourinho, as a coach, I think I think he's a little on the conservative side, if I can call it. He's you know there are a lot of uh, journalists who call him, uh, you know, as stuck in the past and he hasn't done what other coaches might have done as football has progressed in the modern age. But if, if you look at the setup, right, for uh, Spurs over the last three games, and I'd like to highlight the last two against, I think, uh, Lokomotiv Plovdiv in the Europa and Southampton. Mm-hmm. 
they, they played I think a 4-2-1-3 in the Europa and then a 4-3-3 uh, against Southampton and in both I think uh, you, ha you have your back four and then Sissoko and Hajja, uh, they, they were there and then Low Celso and then Son Heung Ming, Kane and Bergwin. And against Southampton, I think it was Ndombele, Hajberg, Wings and in front three of Mora, Kane and Son Heung Ming. Now, if you look at the two for formations, right, and 4-2-1-3 and 4-3-3, then if, if let's say if Region and Bale both come in in the same, in the same game, then Reguilon is, is a pretty no-brainer. He, he takes Ben Davis's uh, spot. Now, uh, Bale, what, what Mourinho can do with Bale is, and with Bale, how he has played in Madrid over the past uh, you know, uh, year or so, uh, or before that, sorry, he wasn't playing for Madrid. It's a shame. Uh, he, he, he pretty much played on the right uh, flank, right? And used to come in with those uh, uh, lovely uh, turn-ins and then, used to uh, use his uh, brilliant left foot. Now, he can play as a number 10 also. He's played uh, up top also with Madrid. So, he, yeah. that, that front line, he can, he can play anywhere. But I think Kane will obviously play uh, as the proper centre forward. And then on the both wings, you, you, can, have, uh, you can have Bale playing anywhere. So, I, I don't see the need for Mourinho to uh, change anything. Uh, but uh, I, think, I think Spurs fans have to be pretty... Uh, cautious and a li little bit patient with Bale. Uh, knee injuries, uh, we all know football players uh, you know, take a lot of time to get back. You, you need that uh, lovely comfort level with your knee, especially for uh, someone like a Bale. Uh, you know, right. he's, he's been such an athletic uh, player right from the beginning. So, mm -hmm. it is, I, I, I hope he uh, is back because I really and genuinely feel he has a lot uh, still to give to the game. Uh, it could have been any other club. Last year it could have been the Chinese club. But now that he's back to where he loves and, and everyone says where he belongs, uh, it's, it's going to be lovely to see him at his peak. Even, you know, even if he performs at 70% of the last time he was there at uh, White Hart Lane, I think he's going to be a crackerjacker of the season for Spurs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, more than that, I think he needs to feel that love. I think that is one of the reasons to come back, uh, you know, the whole saga that he had at Madrid, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't go down well, right? So, obviously, he needs some love and what better than coming back to Spurs. But uh, thanks, thanks for the word, Shine. Uh, it would have been just absolutely perfect had you ended it with a come on you Spurs. But nonetheless, uh, you know, all right. Let's, let's, not, let's not get overboard, Kim. Let's go. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Next up, I, uh, let's have a man who probably must be dreading of all the Spurs talk that we've been having. Uh, Supreet, welcome to the other side of the podcast, mate. Thank you. Finally, I couldn't. Uh, my ears are bleeding after listening to like 15-20 minutes of Tottenham. Uh, it's finally over. So, we can get started with some real football now. <laughs> Alright. Okay. Um, so, Arsenal you know, finally managed to claim all the three points against West Ham. Uh, but the performance was far from convincing as the visiting team looked more likely to score in the second half. Um, what were your thoughts on the performance, Supreet? Particularly uh, in the second half, you know, the defence, they were not trying to clear the ball properly. They, it, it was too yeah. shabby, I felt. So, what were your thoughts on that? Mm, we, were, we, were, we were, you know, we were very lucky to get away with three points. Um, I thought it would end in a 1-1 draw. Uh, but we just managed to score a goal in the nick of time. 
not just the second half i think even in the first half we were very sluggish it seemed like uh, you know we had forgotten all our shooting boots at fulham um, mm-hmm. we were very slow from the start uh, there seemed it seemed like we had uh, you know, there was no cohesion in midfield uh, we started with a flat 343 uh, and kieran tierney was uh, obviously injured in the warm up and that meant siat kolasinac started and he's he's a very limited player um tierney definitely adds a lot lot more strength to the back three um and even in terms of going ahead i think he's been very key to arsenal so typically we've either played saka or maitland niles mm-hmm. on the left hand side uh, along with tierney mm-hmm. um and but with kolasinac it just it just collapsed and you know from yeah. the uh, that's the wing from which west ham managed to score their goal at the end of the first half right yeah, yeah. um i don't entirely blame kolasinac for that uh, there was also uh, jaka and saka who um, really uh, did not keep their eye on the ball uh, but nonetheless we kind of looked very shaky at the back uh, right from the uh, you know second half started i think mm-hmm. um, antonio came very close to scoring uh, the second goal um, you know it was an on the line uh, save from leno Mm, in midfield uh, so so what west ham did was they 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 started with a 343 they eventually shifted to a 541 when arsenal were attacking and that gave us very little room um, con- primarily because we don't have a lot of pace in midfield uh, sebayos and jaka were are are primarily central midfielders and um, i wouldn't really expect them to bomb forward a lot Right, um, right. Kind of struggled over there. Lacazette had to drop back and uh, play a typical uh, number ten to get Aubameyang mm-hmm. and Willian, um, you know, into uh, into the play. But honestly, it, it just it just didn't seem to work out. Um, so the second half performance, I think, was very very uh, sluggish. Yeah, I, I thought we 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 played we at least played better in the first half, and it was it was like a get out of jail card when. um you know enketia scored uh in the 85th minute right yeah right, right. Uh, and to add to that i think it's 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 a problem of uh you know us having to unlock defenses and i i think that's that's a problem that we've always faced at the emirates teams just come back come come and they like to sit um, so that's what west ham did they had masuaku who, who who was was actually on the left wing but he was covering creswell on the left and there was mm-hmm. ryan fredericks who was covering isa diop on the right that yeah. that really gave us very little wriggle room um mm-hmm. akar didn't have a very good game um he's actually uh, i uh, you know he's played really well for his first season last last year but i thought he was a little off the pace this time uh yeah uh, honestly i'm i'm just happy to get the three points um because we we don't want to lose uh rather drop points against teams like west ham at home so um you know just happy to get the three points however uh, whatever it takes rather right yeah totally i i, I think uh, it papered over some cracks but i think arteta has got a real problem on his hands and it'll be interesting how he'll probably try to tackle and like you said you know unlock the defenses yeah i mean um, i mean if 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 they if they play the same uh if they play the same game they did against west ham um mm-hmm. this this the coming match against liverpool I think we are going to get slaughtered by four or five goals easily. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I I hope it doesn't continue. True, true. 
Um, but on the flip side, I, th- I think, uh, you know, Aubameyang set up for Laka, who, you know, scored his 50th goal for the club. And uh, do you think Arsenal are going to be over-reliant on these two to deliver the goods throughout the season? Like you said, there is a little uh, outlet uh, for uh, attacking cre- uh, creativity in the midfield. Okay. Uh, so, are Arsenal going to over-rely on these two uh, to come up with the goods? I would have to say, um, unfortunately, yes. I don't see um, too many goals. Um, I think, I mean, what I mean to say is the majority of the goals will come from these two players. Um, Lacazette scored uh, 10 Premier League goals last season. Um, Aubameyang obviously scored 22. Right. Um, And apart from that, you know, all, all the rest of our goals are just, you know, peppered around by the rest of the team. And I honestly don't see a third goal scorer emerging. I think Pepe um, was an option. I, I was actually surprised um, that he didn't start both the games against Fulham and West Ham. Uh, Villian actually shown in the first match, which is why he was probably selected for the second game as well. Right. Um, but if Pepe can actually uh, you know, start more games, get some more games under his belt, probably get a goal here and there, I think he can be a, a 10-12 to 12 goal player a season. Right. Uh, William right. traditionally has been a player who scores seven to eight goals, uh, but apart from that, I honestly don't see a lot of creativity. Uh, I think Nketiah is going to be, uh, you know, on the substitute bench for most of the time. I don't see him starting right. a lot of games. Yeah. Probably yeah. in such situations, you might want to get Nketiah on and probably add him as an additional attacking option, and maybe he'll chip in with a few goals. Um, mm-hmm. But honestly, there's not a lot um, going on in. In the midfield, unless we, you know, uh, sign probably someone like Hasim Awar, which I've been hearing for the longest time. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm actually tired of those rumors uh, around party and Awar. I've been hearing them for like two, three months, yeah. and honestly, nothing's moved. So, unless we sign another actual creative outlet, yeah, um, I think we're going to we 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 might struggle to um, replace. Uh, either Lacazette or Aubameyang if one of them gets injured, right? Right, um, right. The rest of the midfield is just Ceballos, Xhaka, uh, Elneny. Um, he might be on his way out. Uh, still not sure. Uh, yeah. Ozil is almost as good as frozen out. Uh, Gwendozi, um still I'm not en- entirely sure if we'll keep him. He might mm-hmm. go out on loan. And even if he does stay, he's going to be a part-time, uh, you know, bit-part player. Right. Um, from that, there's a couple of youngsters like Willock and Nelson. I don't see them starting a lot of games either. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, I think Aubameyang and Lacazette are going to score majority of your, majority of Arsenal's goals uh, this season. Right, right, right. I, I know. I mean, they're very good bets for FPL. Uh, I think which is one of the very strong reasons why a lot of people have them on FPL. But I think I think more than Partey, uh, mm-hmm. Ewar seems like. Uh, you know, it, it, he's required at Arsenal at this moment. I know the link have been strong. They've been, uh, you know, been there for a really long time. But I, I, I think Arteta is going to push for it. I have a very strong feeling that if, I know, price in this market is going to be a, a, a big deal. But if at all, he can be signed. I think he is the key yeah. to uh, the, the midfield. And he, obviously, he is going to be another attacking intent. And you know he could he could take that bird, uh, burden off uh, Oba and Laka. So because I mean considering the number of fixtures, it it, yeah. it it is very risky. It is really risky to rely on just two people. And you know what if they're injured and the whole season, which which actually 
you know, people are giving Arsenal a decent chance to finish in top four. So you do not want an injury yeah. to hamper that whole, uh, you know, the progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's correct. I, I think Willian has definitely offered us an additional option, but I think we right. still need that um, another another player who can play more centrally, uh, just right. ahead of uh, you know the uh, just ahead of maybe Sebayos and Jaka. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I hope the deal pushes through and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, moving on to a player who, whose situation I feel, I don't know, I don't, it's, it's very strange, you know. Maitland Niles, he was on the bench after an impressive display against Fulham. Yeah, um, yeah he, he did come close to leaving Arsenal, you know, with Wolves reportedly interested. So, do you really think he needs to leave in order to, you know, get the playing time? Or can, given his, you know, versatility, can Arteta conjure up something and, you know, start using him uh, wisely? Um, I think, unfortunately for Maitland Niles, what has happened is, um, so, so he's he's played over 100 games now for Arsenal. Uh, but what has happened is he's mostly played as a squad player. Right. He's, he's had to fill in at right back and left back. Um, though his his position for the youth teams have always been in the center of midfield, he played his his typical position as a defensive midfielder. Right. But right. he's just not got that gotten that chance. Um, I think if he if Maitland Niles honestly uh, feels that his position is central midfield and if he wants to uh, cement that place in a Premier League club, and if say someone like Wolves is going to offer that to him, I think he should take it because I honestly don't. See Arteta, uh, Mikel Arteta playing Maitland Niles mm-hmm. um, in the center of midfield. I think Maitland Niles is a solid squad player. I would hate to see him go. Yeah, um, yeah. Because uh, whenever there's been an injury, whenever there's been a, a you know um, a spate of injuries for Arsenal, he's filled in and he's been he's been very reliable. He's played. He's been played out of position at left back. He's still been very um, steady. He's 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 decent at the. He's decent with the ball. He, he can, yeah. uh, you know, bomb forward a little bit. Um, doesn't score goals though. But yeah, I think he's a he's a pretty solid squad player. I would hate to see him go. Any any, I mean, I think any Premier League squad uh, would love to have a player like that on the substitute bench, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't see Arteta uh, considering him as a starting eleven player. He's more of a handy squad player. Mm-hmm. But if Maitland Niles feels there's a Premier League club that's going to give him the chance to play in centre of midfield, and if that's where he sees his future at, uh, I think he should uh, jump on that opportunity. Right. I mean, he's a homegrown player, so I, I, there's definitely going to be interest for him, and uh, he's going to fetch a good good fee, e- even in this market. So yeah, I, I don't know. It it might uh, you know, it might actually be possible for uh, our debtor to go and. Uh, get his player that he wants. So, yeah. it, it actually makes sense, yeah. But the interesting but, thing is, uh, so you mentioned that Maitland Niles is a homegrown player and right now, the squad is kind of bloated. We have, uh, we have like, a ton of uh, defenders, um, most of them who are injured. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to offload a couple of foreign players in order to be able to balance the uh, you know, balance the squad before the season. I mean, right. I mean before the transfer window closes, right? So Absolutely. I think we will keep Maitland Niles unless there's a late bid from someone else. Correct, correct. True, true. All right. Uh, thanks for the insight, Supreet. It was fun.
So, uh, moving on to Manchester City and the first impression of things from them this season. We have Naveen joining us for a chat. Welcome, mate. Hey, hi. Hey, uh, so, Naveen, uh, with key players either being injured or ruled out due to you know medical reasons, what did you make of Ake and Stones in defence with Rodri and Fernandino sitting in just in front of them? So, true. In fact, uh, before the start of the first match, uh, me as well as most of the City fans I had interacted with on social media, we were very nervous because of the way the season had ended for us. And mm-hmm. we did not have any practice games before the first match. Right. And we were expected to miss a few key players. And also we were playing against Wolves with whom we have had a rough patch in the last few seasons. I mean, they had scored a double against us in the last season itself. Yeah. Yeah, but, they were your bogey team, basically. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And but the good part about the city side is, in spite of some key players missing, uh, we had an equal number of key players on the pitch. So, you know, it was nice to see jo- uh, John Stones playing full ninety minutes and not making right. many mistakes. <laughs> Though his lack of pace is still clearly evident, I'm actually surprised that he started as a right back initially in his career and then mm-hmm. someone thought no he should be a central defender rather so i think it was a good decision in hindsight because the pace is clearly missing i don't know how he would have been a good right back at this stage so right. that was good and also Ake seems to have adapted already to city style of play and he made some really crucial tackles in and around the box so which was nice to see right and we did not expect, actually, a few weeks before the season began, we did not expect Fernandino to even start, considering this yeah, would yeah. probably be his last season. And he's already 35. But uh, he was given the captain's armband and he was chosen by the players and the staff almost a week before the season began. So, it was good to see him on the field and he was not playing in his uh, makeshift role of a central defender. He was playing in his original role as a central defensive midfielder. And he, along with Rodri, they were very instrumental in stopping some crucial attacks by the Wolves midfielders. So, all in all, it was not a great performance defensively, but it was a good enough performance. And some positive things to take from. So, yeah. Correct, correct. Yeah, basically they are they are the ones who is going to shield the defense. So I think I think on that bit they did a fair bit of job, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, now coming to the second half performance, uh, Naveen. So there was this sustained pressure from the Wolves side even before the uh, goal, right, which was scored by Jimenez. Yes. Um, they created quite a few opportunities, but their finishing let them down. Uh, you know, but it highlighted the fact that City are vulnerable and. So, as a fan, what what were your impressions on that? So, in the second half, especially when they started creating too many chances, in fact, we were very fortunate that they did not score most of the... I mean, they scored just a goal because at one point of time, it easily looked like it would have been a repeat of what happened in the last season at the Molineux, wherein they were 2-0 up and they eventually scored three goals and they won the match. But, uh, yeah, again, we were very fortunate they missed their chances. And one key weak link which was highlighted clearly was Benjamin Mendy on the left. 
so yeah i was exactly very easily able to pass him very often and in fact post 70 minutes or so even sterling had to track back as soon as traore was ready to charge so yeah and that was one of the reasons sterling was actually taken off at around 82 minutes and torres was brought in so that there could be some fresh legs on that flank correct correct so we have to be really careful and i'm sure other teams will see this and try to take advantage of mendy's lack of pace and lack of reflexes at times but mm-hmm. i hope cancelo can be fit soon and he can play much better in the same position as mendy right so right. mendy was yeah. definitely a weak link because most of the chances were created on that flank and even the goal scored was you know started from that flank the attack was started from that flank so yeah but it was right, right. that city did not panic and they were even pressing towards the end and they eventually scored the third goal also so that was good to see yeah yeah in, in fact i i think i i was happy to see that uh, a few city fans you know took the lighter side of it and uh, you know were saying that uh you know all all benjamin mendy could ca- catch today was the baby oil of uh, uh, traore so yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's funny but i i i think yeah as you rightly mentioned city were fortunate uh and you know scoring the third goal actually killed the match but uh nonetheless i think it's 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 an area uh, as you said like the other teams are going to watch and uh, yes yeah l- let's hope how pep is going to uh, address that issue yeah I'm really hoping Cancelo can join in soon because he played a few matches on the left after the restart last season, and he was pretty good. And with Kyle Walker on the right, I think we played very decent in all the matches. We had this, uh, I mean, we had these players on the flanks, so we should be good once Cancelo yeah. is back. Yeah, true, true. All right. Um so now uh with David Silva departing last season, you know, Pep confirmed that uh Phil Foden is going to be his replacement. You know, and the youngster at the back of the controversy in Iceland, he looked good against Wolves. Um so what are your expectations from him and will he prove to be a regular starter for City in the coming match weeks? So yeah, I mean, based on his performance in the match, he surely did not let the controversy affect him on the pitch at least. and mm-hmm. though honestly personally i was a bit disappointed because he is he comes from you know that part of city not really he is not he does not belong to manchester as such but he is a rare breed of young footballers who have always dreamt of playing for city especially in the last decade or so we have we don't have many homegrown players who have reached right, the right. top level so a bit disappointed personally but i think he'll do well and he has this basic instinct to attack and create space for himself to let the final pass come to him we have seen that yeah. and the kind of goals he scores mostly he creates a lot of space for himself he is just yeah. there at the right moment so i don't think so pep would be benching him very often this season and he will play a critical role this season definitely yeah yeah surely i mean uh, for city as well as the national team i think he's he's a is an asset and it's it's going to be interesting how the season will unfold for him yeah uh thanks a lot navin for your insights uh 
All right, lads. Uh, that brings us to the end of episode two on the Six Yards podcast. Uh, we'll now look forward to a game week three as United head south coast to take on Brighton. Chelsea are away at West Brom, whereas City are at home facing Leicester. Spurs uh, travel to North Macedonia midweek before hosting Newcastle over the weekend. And we have another massive fixture for game week three as Arsenal travel to Anfield to face the champions, albeit on a Monday night. Make sure to follow the Six Yards Pod on Twitter and Instagram for more content. Stay safe and take care until next time.